Hello, and welcome to Getting It. The conversation where we try to understand life just that little bit more. My name's Dan. And my name is Saban. We're both medical students based in London. And in this episode, we go in depth into the battle between Wall Street bets and the hedge funds that almost brought down the financial markets. As a quick disclaimer, neither of us are formally educated in this field, so there may be inaccuracies in some of the fine details, especially when discussing trading platforms not allowing the purchase of particular stocks and how these platforms actually make money. Furthermore, we go very in-depth into certain aspects of how the stock market works and the whole story involving GameStop, Wall Street bets and the hedge funds. If you like the sound of that, then hopefully this will be a fun listen for you. If not, no worries, we just wanted to warn you in advance. Although this episode gets somewhat technical, I don't want you to think that this is all what investing is like, i.e. being very complicated and feeling that huge money is always lost. What happened in the stock market last month has never happened before. It unveiled a lot about the inner workings of the stock market, as well as seeing the rise of the retail investors. Sometime in the future, we will do an episode that explains what investing in the stock market is, how to do it, and why you might also want to do it. Finally, after I finish summarising the whole situation, we talk about the morals and ethics surrounding wealth accumulation and its utilisation. We think that it will be better as a standalone episode that we'll upload next week. So on that note, let the waffling begin. Good evening, Saban. Good evening, Dan. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Okay, that's some pleasantries out of the way. Um... Yeah, actually, no, no, a bit more pleasantries. Um, so what have you been up to in the last few weeks? Just uni work. So I've started my four, uh, fourth, I'm in my fourth year. So I'm doing my project now, my final BSc project, which was meant to involve a decent amount of lab work, but it doesn't. So I'm mostly just sat at home, just reading papers, writing stuff up and analyzing data. So, so if it wasn't for COVID, you would be um, in the labs, right? Yeah. Okay. And because of COVID, instead, you're doing I'm a just... home-based sort of... Uh, lab project yeah oh, a home-based lab, lab project. Oh, that's a shame but yeah. you mentioned to me that you're still going to have a lab uh, induction and stuff yeah so it will be very small basically so my actual lab period might be in like a week um, a single monday to friday uh just to do some kind of insulin glucagon assays and that would be about it and then i'll just go back and analyze the data have we talked about what you're studying at the moment because it's fairly interesting well, so I'm doing endocrinology, like my BSc is in endocrinology. My project right now, my my final project is right up my alley. <laughs> um, it is the, hormone, <laughs> the hormonal control of fat oxidation using metabolic phenotyping. That's if we end up actually doing the metabolic phenotyping part, because whether we get the data and stuff for that is unknown. So the title of my project might have to change slightly and the focus in which I write it might have to change slightly, but the premise of the hormonal control is still there. So that's kind of what the project is about. And what's interesting is I said it's right up my alley. I, I was just going through my photos like from like years ago, basically just through uni photos and stuff, just having that kind of nostalgic moment, just mm. like, oh man, it was so good just sitting for 70 hours in the library instead of 70 hours in my room doing my work. And I noticed that i don't i don't know if they do this at kings but in the imperial libraries frequently on the back door of the toilet i.e so when you're inside um and you lock the door you will see like a recruitment sheet for a study yes i remember yeah. that I remember and they'll have like the cut 
thing so you can just take the yes. contact details yeah, yeah. and then contact them when you're not in the toilet because mm -hmm. using your phone on the toilet is unhygienic yeah, of course and no one does <laughs> yeah, that yeah no one does that anyway. um <laughs> yeah so i remember i took a picture of one because i was like huh that sounds really interesting and then when i was applying for projects i thought one of the the names of the supervisor like one of the names was kind of familiar but yeah anyway i've got my project now mm -hmm. and then i was like hang on a second this picture that i'm looking at is the study that I'm analyzing right now and basing ah. my project off. So if I had actually taken part, I wanted to take part because it was, you know, I like stuff about metabolism, fat oxidation, it's related to before and after exercise, depending on whether you, you consume carbohydrates or not. So it, it was, you know, I, I would have found it really interesting to just be a part of it. So it would have been really funny if I took part in it and I'm now one of the subjects that I'm analyzing the data. Yeah. It would have been anonymized, but that I wonder would have if there would have been, been some kind of conflict, of yeah, conflict yeah. of interest. But I wouldn't have known until literally a couple of days ago when I just noticed that because yeah so mm. the actual project so the actual study that's being done by the PhD student and the lab is slightly different and mine's kind of like a spin-off of it because we have you know extra data and stuff so I can analyze this part and do that so I guess there wouldn't be a direct conflict of interest there but I guess I would be one of the subject or may have been one of the subject you may you maybe would have to announce it at the end yeah. of the paper or something oh yeah, when I say, but what if I never the... figured out? Like, what if I just never noticed? Then what? Then there'd be some audit or something like <laughs> yeah. in a few years' time. Yeah, yeah so I, I thought that was really interesting. And I was like, oh man, how the world comes around. Yeah, no, that, that is interesting. I mean, I remember back to my BSc project last year and um, I was very lucky with the timing because I managed to get all the data just before lockdown started and you know, um, I wasn't able to go into the hospital anymore. Um, so yeah, I was very lucky with the timing. And um, I just remember that the project for me was arguably the most enjoyable bit of the whole BSc. So hopefully that's the case for you as well. And um, yeah, I think um, I said before that's enough of the pleasantries because mm -hmm. um, obviously we don't like each other yeah. <laughs> in real life. So Hate. it's Hate hard. <laughs> it's hard to um, to be pleasant to you. But um, yeah, if you don't mind, would you like to just give a brief introduction to what we'll be talking about today? It's a pretty interesting topic. Stonks and money, stonks. basically. Yeah. Stonks. stonks. Okay. So if you are not accustomed to the finance-based vocab, stonks is basically a term for um, stocks. Uh, so we're not going to be talking all about stocks. We'll start off a bit about it because what's happened over the last month or since January was... A historical moment in terms of mm. the stock market investing the whole financial system it it was actually history in the making <laughs> it, it could have like the entire financial system or at least the stock market and all of that could have actually just collapsed just it was insane and dan you had a part to play in that somewhat <laughs> um very slightly i did have uh 500 shares in gm no i'm joking um but so okay just before we get started into it do you want to give a quick overview even before we talk about um investing in shares and stuff just an overview of what happened like yeah. for a couple of minutes yeah and just to clarify yeah so for, for a little bit we'll talk about what's kind of happened um over the past month and a half and then i guess the main actual meat of the talk will be more about wealth and just because that has kind of stirred up a lot of conversation about wealth and money and big money and the institutional investors and, and stuff like that and you know the disparity within the financial markets and stuff. But yeah, just to kind of summarize what's happened with the stock market was related to Wall Street bets and GameStop. So GameStop is a store in America that's, you know, that sells game. It's, it's like Blockbuster, it's a brick and mortar store. 
it's basically similar to what game was in the UK. It was basically the same kind of store you trade in stuff, you buy games and stuff. And basically people were, or all the big company, like all the big hedge funds and stuff were kind of shorting the stock. And I'll get on to explaining what shorting means, but basically you're just kind of betting on that company going out of business or, you know, decreasing in value. And then you make money on that. I guess most people have an understanding that when like the simple thing to do with stocks is you buy low, sell high. With shorting, you're essentially selling high, buying low. So you still make, you make money on the downturn basically. And that's what a lot of hedge funds and a lot of companies were doing to GameStop because they were like, the company's probably going to die. You know, everyone's, you know, with game consoles, everyone is just, you know, downloading their games these days and stuff. Everything's online. No one really goes into game stores to actually buy their games or trade them in because especially if you downloaded them you can't trade them in so yeah there was this whole thesis basically going around that you know GameStop is just gonna die so the, the consensus was GameStop was dying and then giant um, investment firms and, and hedge funds were basically um, investing no 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 wait um, essentially putting money down hoping that GameStop will fail and like you know the, 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 the stock price for it will keep going down and uh, yeah, they'll make money off of that, right? Yeah, because that that's it, it, basically what they're kind of betting on, although it's not exactly betting. Um, so the other side of the story comes in through Wall Street Bets. And Wall mm. Street Bets is... The sweet, a, sweet world of Reddit. <laughs> yeah, it's a forum on Reddit. Are they called forums on Reddit? Or? It's just like a subreddit. Yeah, yeah, okay. A subreddit. It's a subreddit on Reddit. And it's an interesting community. It started off pretty legit, back when it first started in terms of actual, you know, finance advice or, you know, oh, I think this is going to happen to this company, maybe invest in this, you know, just people talking about stocks and finance and stuff. It was just a kind of normal community. And then it started to make a slight change. <laughs> um, and now it, there's this... Because it grew, right? It started growing fairly substantially. Yeah. And the reason for that was because of a company called Robinhood, kind of. So Robinhood was like the first... Uh, brokerage app that you can just get on your phone and you can buy and sell shares without any charges being incurred and you can just download the app make an account and just start buying shares basically so that just kind of gave power to the little guys like us um well if you're listening and you're not so little not you but um yeah so you know we have small amounts of money and sometimes you can get a decent amount of fees we just we don't really get those fees right in terms of buying and selling shares so commission-free trading for everyone in the public. I think their motto is to make fin like finance for all or, or something like that. But that's the whole name of the company as well, Robin Hood. So. And um, I don't intend to interrupt your flow, but just to keep uh, like chunk and checking, you know, just mm -hmm. to make sure I'm following. So you started off explaining what GameStop is as a company yep. and why uh, large firms were shorting on GameStop, mm -hmm. essentially hoping to make money off of GameStop's failure over yep. time. Yeah, And so that's been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other side is we're talking about Wall Street Bets, the subreddit, yeah. and the growing community on Wall Street Bets. And, you know, you mentioned Robinhood. That's a reason for its growth, like, yeah. because normal people were able to engage in the stock market. Okay. And so on the timeline now, we're talking about the, the Wall Street bet getting bigger. And then, so what happened? Yeah. Okay. So it, it all kind of bases around one person's thesis. Um, his, he goes by DFV. Okay. Um, yeah. Deep 
F-U-C-K-I-N-G-V-A-L-U-E. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he also has a few other names. I think Roaring Kitty is one of them, basically. Some dude on, uh, that, that was his name on Reddit. And he, I don't really know his background too much, but I think he was involved in, in finance and stuff slightly. But basically in 2019, he put down his thesis on Wall Street bets as to why GameStop isn't a dying company and why he's actually buying shares of GameStop, hoping, well, not hoping, well, you know, almost expecting them to go up because he thinks there is actual promise in the company rising back up. And there were a few things related to that. There's an online retailer, mostly based in America, called Chewy. Their CEO took a big stake into GameStop, and I think he's actually the CEO of GameStop now. Wow. Um, so, yeah, and then because they're experts in online retail, they're, you know, part of that is like, oh, okay, who's going to help push GameStop onto a more kind of online retailing business in terms of the actual physical goods um, to diversify into that end. So they're not only based in terms of brick and mortar stores. There, there were also other things like the, the company's like, it's got like decent cash flow, I think, but I, I don't know his thesis entirely. I didn't really look into it because I'm not really looking into investing into GameStop. But anyway, but he, he had a substantial kind of thesis for GameStop being successful in, in the future and not actually going bankrupt. And this started in 2019, I think, mid, early to mid-2019. He put out this thesis and was kind of explaining it. He also did live streams, show it like just kind of explaining his thesis and just discussing stocks and stuff. He was a very small guy. I think he, at most, before he blew up with this whole situation in January and just slightly before that, he was getting like 20 viewers at most in a single stream. So it was a very small kind of community. But on Wall Street Bets, other people were also like seeing his thesis and they were like, yeah, you know, it's, it seems quite legit what you're saying. Um, it's all very reasonable. So they were like, yeah, I'm going to buy some shares as well and, you know, invest for the long term and see hopefully see the company you know ri rise up again rise up to the moon sorry mm, sorry rise sorry, straight sorry. up to I the moon i skipped a bit didn't i <laughs> um yeah do, sh should we explain all the memes and stuff <laughs> i mean we can do like a vocab list maybe <laughs> after the full explanation yeah Vo yeah vocab list in the show notes okay um, yeah and yeah they were like so lots of people on wall street bets were also starting to go behind DFV's thesis and be like, yeah, you know, it's actually kind of legit. More people getting involved in trying to, you know, research GameStop. And eventually they realized that there was 140% short interest on the on, on GameStop by these hedge funds. So hedge funds are, you know, typically known for using very aggressive trading strategies. Do you want to quickly explain what a hedge fund is? Yeah, so that, that's basically what, what I was, I was oh, going to kind of say. Apologies. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of a hedge fund and how hedge funds actually work since I've never worked in one. I don't own one either. So um, yeah, basically from what I see, they use pretty aggressive um, trading strategies to just make money in every single circumstance. And they're usually doing a lot of derivative trading and stuff as well. But the reason they're called hedge funds is because you, they, they essentially hedge their position in basically everything they do, or at least in a lot of things that they do. If they think one thing is going to go up, but it actually, or there's also the possibility it goes down, right? So if they buy a position in something expecting it to go up, but then it goes down, they lose money. So they'll also hedge their position by also putting in a position on the downturn, right? So if it does end up going down, at least they'll make some money and won't lose so much, right? So they're hedging basically all of their positions or a lot of their positions, or they don't hedge it particularly in the same company every time, but say within a sector, or sometimes they'll be literally hedging on countries, economies and stuff. It, it, 
it, it gets really complicated very quickly and I barely know anything about it. But that's the kind of general gist of hedge funds. They use pretty aggressive trading strategies to make a lot of money as quick as possible. Mm. And they're pretty brutal about it a lot of the time, or at least some firms are very brutal or some hedge fund managers are very brutal in the way they do it. Um, so yeah, they, the people on Wall Street bets started noticing that there's a lot of people shorting the stock. Um, over hundred So 140% of the shares were shorted on GameStop. So more than the actual shares even available were shorted. So what is shorting? Um, basically shorting is making money when the price goes down. So like it, so buying long is you buy the share and the price goes up and you sell, right? Oh, sorry, got activated. But that's the essence of a classic, you know, investing in the stock market. You're going long on a position, buy low, sell high. So with GameStop, if I was longing on GameStop, mm. when, um, so maybe a few months ago and the price of one share was what, like $10 roughly, maybe. Yeah. Um, so if I bought it at that point and then I sold it uh, at a later point, when it was at, when it was thirty dollars, that's longing, right? Because yeah. I've sold the share for more than I bought it for, yeah, so I've and, made money. Yeah, and in that case, you have tripled your money if it went from ten to thirteen. You sold it, so yeah, if you bought you know ten shares at ten dollars and it now went to thirty dollars, and you sold all the, all of those ten shares, you've made two hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So um, th that's I, I think mo mo yeah, yeah. most people understand that. Um, shorting is basically the other way around, where you sell a share that you don't even own. So I have no shares in a company and say it's $100. I now short the stock because I think it's going to go down for whatever reason. Maybe, uh, you know, I think that their product isn't that good and they, they've been selling less and less. And in their next earnings call, I think they're going to report bad news. So I think the sh stock is going to go down. So I want to make money on that, right? So I short the stock from $100. And then if it goes down, I'll make money on the difference. So say if it went from $100 to $50, and then I buy back my position at $50, I now make $50. So just to clarify it, um, because this is something I only learned recently myself. Mm. Um, so if we use that analogy of a $100 uh, share, mm -hmm. um, the thing is, so you have an obligation to buy it back, don't you? Yes. You have to buy it back. Yeah. Um, so let, let me give an example in terms of an actual physical good. Say if you had your, say, okay, you have your iPad, right? And say you just bought it for a, a thousand pounds, right? Oh, okay. Okay, the 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 big boy iPad, okay. iPad Pro, okay? Um, a thousand pounds, okay? So you have that and say, I want to borrow it off you. So I'm like, Dan, let, let me borrow your iPad for a month, okay? So you give it to me, you don't need it for whatever reason. And me being me and I like technology, I know that a new iPad is coming just around the corner. So I know that your iPad is going to drop in value, right? So even though it's still valued at a thousand pounds right now, I'm going to sell it to someone. I, I just sell your iPad that I borrowed off you on eBay. Okay. So I sold it for a thousand pounds. So I've got a thousand pounds in my pocket, but I still need to give your iPad back to you. Mm. So because I was smart and I knew the, the new iPad was coming out, the so the new iPad now comes out and now your iPad that I originally sold has dropped in value. And so other people are selling it maybe for 500 pounds, just uh, random numbers. So I now buy your equivalent iPad for 500 pounds and now I give it back to you. Yeah. So I've just pocketed that 500 pounds. Yes. So I nothing's changed for me. I've still got my, I've still got an iPad. Yeah. The same iPad, the big boy iPad. Um, but the only thing is, yeah, so you sold that iPad and then you bought it back for much cheaper. You get to keep the difference. And so you've shorted. 
on that iPad, essentially. I essentially shorted the iPad. And, but, oh, wait, sorry, yeah, you say. Yeah, and that's how it used to work with physical goods and stuff. So, uh, yeah, and people still kind of do that already. Like when a new phone is coming out, people will just sell their phone or something because they know the value is going to drop. So they'll do that and then they'll get the new phone. They're essentially shorting it and saving money in that sense and getting the next phone. So that's what they're doing. The catch comes is in that, at least in the Western world, um, anything that you borrow in terms of monetary value, you typically have to pay interest on it. Okay. So, I mean, interest in Islam is haram. So I just inevitably don't short anything. Um, I mean, I don't really have access to short things because you have to get certain checks to, to be able to do that. But yeah. So now what if you were um, charging me interest? So I asked to borrow your iPad and you're like, yeah, okay, borrow it. But I'm, I'm going to charge, you know, 10% in, or 5% interest or something. All right, on the value of the iPad. So it's a thousand pounds for however long you borrow it. So 5% interest o over the month. So I have to pay 5% of a thousand over it. Okay. Um, so now when, so say if I did the whole thing, but I'm still paying that interest to you. So how much interest is that? What, 50 pounds? Okay. So I have to pay 50 pounds. So I borrowed the iPad off you for, and it's valued at a thousand. I sell it for a thousand and then I buy it back for 500. And then I give your iPad back to you. Now I have to pay you back fifty pounds as well because of the interest that you 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 said you charge for me borrowing it. So now I've only made four fifty, right? So there are costs incurred in it. So it's not so perfect um, in terms of like just clean. I mean, so if you just zoom out a bit and now compare shorting to longing a stock. If you buy a stock for a hundred dollars and it goes, how much money? What is the max amount of money you can lose? Um, well, the maximum amount would be a hundred dollars. So if the price goes to zero and you're selling it. <laughs> yeah it's a very sad scenario you're yeah. selling your shit for some reason you're, you're selling it even yeah. though it's not worth anything yeah um yeah but I, I guess you'd have to it would only go to zero if the company goes completely bankrupt yes so, so um they're not worth anything yeah exactly so it's gone from 100 to zero the max you can lose is your initial investment the thing is is that if you're shorting a stock you lose money when the price goes up how much money can you lose if you short a stock however much the, the price goes up by, it's, it which is very scary. Yeah, technically infinite. So if the stock price, so you say if um, you shorted a stock at $100 expecting it to go down, but now it goes up to $150, you have lost $50. Maybe it goes up to $200, you've lost $100. Now it's $500, you've lost $400. It just keeps going. It technically just won't stop. And at the same time, remember, those shares you sell, you borrow. So you borrow them and then you sell them. You're paying interest at the same time. Mm, yeah. And those interest rates can vary. So that's very nasty. So it's a sticky situation, in fact. And to continue with the iPad analogy, so just to clarify, I've got it. Um, so I'm giving you my iPad mm -hmm. for a set period of time. No, 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 not for a set period of time. That's a question I've got in a minute. Um, so I'm giving you my iPad. You've gone now and um, you've sold it for a thousand pounds. And then the, the Apple announced then they've discontinued iPads. <laughs> and that half the iPads in the world were destroyed. Um, so now that same iPad is worth uh, three thousand pounds. And I'm saying to you, where's my um, where's my iPad? Mm -hmm. You have to buy that iPad yeah. back off the internet now because you sold yours, and yeah. you have to pay three grand for it. So exactly. you've lost two grand. But I see what you mean in that it's infinite. So what if it turns out that's the only iPad in the world left? You have to buy it back from whoever because you've got an obligation to from me. So that could be endlessly expensive. Or you have to like file for bankruptcy, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's essentially how it works. And when it comes to like, oh, how long can you, how long can you short a stock for? <laughs> um, bad, bad choice of words. 
how long can you just keep shorting a stock? Well, it depends how much money you just have sitting in your bank, right? Because couldn't you just wait until the storm blows over? So with the iPads, couldn't you just wait, for example, until the price goes down again? You're still paying interest, okay? And there's the other thing is that you're also paying... Uh, so because it's all electronic these days, it's hard to kind of imagine what's happening behind the scenes. Your broker, so the broker is a person you kind of interact with who then buys and sells the shares on your behalf and then like gives them to you. Um, so my broker in this case is like trading two on two or something, or a lot of people in America would be Robinhood, you know, for a lot of the people on Wall Street bets. They, so they are borrowing the shares off someone because they're trading loads of shares. They're like, okay, I'll borrow the shares out of this account, right? They don't actually, like, they don't notify someone like, oh, we're going to borrow, take the shares out of your account and give them to someone. They, it's all kind of like pulled up so they're just doing that but then they're being incurred charges so then they charge you and you have to pay the interest for borrowing it right and you can just kind of keep doing this but if it just keeps going and you so when you do this you have to depending on the broker and stuff and certain rules you have to have a certain amount of cash just sitting in your account to kind of show that oh i can pay it back but if the price says see so you short the stock and the price keeps going up and it's like you're it looks like you're barely going to be able to pay back the amount right and you have to keep a certain percentage of the initial investment in in the bank account they're like i don't know man you don't have enough money sitting in your uh bank account for you to be able to afford if to afford to pay me back if the price keeps going higher so i'm going to force you so this is when you get like i think it's called margin called so they will essentially be like you have to give it back now the money so they will force you to basically give the money back um and so that means force you to buy the shares back even though it's really high when you shorted the stock so i don't know if that was entirely clear i don't entirely understand that process myself i mean i've never really been involved in it and it is quite complex to get your head around especially when you're not dealing with physical goods you're like why can't we just generate another one bro okay um does that all make sense or do you have any questions i think it makes sense yep okay so i said earlier that there were 140% of the shares of GameStop were shorted. How can more stuff be borrowed? And, you know, how can more shares that are eaten than are eaten? If there's a million shares available, how can 1,400,000 be shorted? So the way this works is just kind of the roundabout you can just go on. It's like the perpetual loop of shorting where, okay, let's go back to the iPad analogy. I borrow your iPad. Okay, forget about the interest in any charges and stuff. I just borrow your iPad for which is valued at a thousand pounds. And now I sell it in the notion with the intention of shorting it. And so I want to buy it back later, right? So I sell it to someone. No, no, no. Okay. Let me start again. So I borrow your iPad for which is worth a thousand pounds. And now I want to kind of short it basically. So I want to hold it, but say someone else also wants to do the same. So now they borrow your iPad from me. <laughs> so it's a double borrow. So I'm an owed an iPad and you're owed an iPad. So there are two iPads owed now, mm -hmm. technically. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how it works. That's probably not a good explanation, but there are loads of videos on YouTube you can use to kind of explain it. But that's the general kind of notion where it's basically being borrowed twice, or, you know, I guess it could be borrowed even more times, three times. So it, it can just kind of increase, like, continually increase and then it ended up i think at its peak around 140 percent of the shares of GameStop were being shorted so that's how much people were just like yeah this company's on let's just short it so that's the kind of situation GameStop was in and that was a position head most head or you know a lot of hedge funds were kind of holding and then 
you know, DFV with his, um, you know, thesis and Wall Street bets kind of getting along with it. Like, yeah, you know, this makes sense. I'm going to buy it. And then they were like, oh yeah, 140% short interest. That means at some point, all of these hedge funds to close their position, i.e. realize their gains, are going to have to buy back the shares and give them back to whoever they borrowed it from in like the metaphorically speaking. So they have to buy back the shares at some point. However, supply and demand, bro, if everyone who owns the shares just doesn't sell, so those hedge fund managers have to buy it back from the other people who have the shares. Those people don't sell, the price goes up because demand's high. At what price will you sell? Okay, what if I give you a hundred pounds for the share? No, I'm not gonna sell. What if I give you 200 pounds? So now the price starts hiking up. So. This is basically what happened, where loads of people on Wall Street Bets just started buying the shares and without the intention of selling them, really. So one, they were kind of going behind, yeah, I think GameStop's going to go up, so I'm going to buy shares for long position, right? But then they were also like, man, if we just keep buying them and we, we aren't going to sell them, eventually those hedge funds are going to get margin called, i.e. because they're paying interest, right? And they're losing money because when there's buying pressure, i.e. if I want to buy a share, it's going to knock up the price a bit because there's a slight um, demand for it. Obviously, me just buying a single share isn't really going to do much. But if thousands and millions of people start doing it, start buying loads of shares, it starts going up because there's a lot of demand, but there's a limited supply. So then price starts going up and then people start catching. And then because of social media and the way Wall Street bets is they're quite a funny group, right? They're a bunch of self, so they literally self-proclaim themselves as, as degenerates. That's the kind of vocab they're using. Rocket emojis every, everywhere, stocks going to the moon. It's all about YOLOing your life savings on options and stuff. To, it's like a game. Basically. It's very lighthearted to the point where it's almost a joke. Yeah, uh, I guess that's part of the problem as well, why people start going against Wall Street Bets. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have lost a lot of money on Wall Street Bets by YOLOing their life savings because it's all about options. A lot of them are using options, not just buying shares, um, which, you know, you're kind of leveraged because you control more shares than you actually pay for. So, yeah, options is a whole nother thing, which gets incredibly complicated. But going back to the, yeah, everyone's kind of buying shares and getting on that bandwagon, right? And then it's all kind of spreading on social media and then the price is going up. And now as the price goes up, hedge funds, which have shorted it, lose money. Or just anyone, not just hedge funds, anyone who has shorted the stock starts losing money. Or at least they might have been in profits, right, in the green. But that green is now decreasing and it's going to start going into the red. And then they're like, oh man, okay, let, let me just buy back some shares. Because so for the short position to close out the position, they need to buy, buy back their shares. So they're like, mm, okay, I'm starting to lose my profits now. Let me just buy back the shares. What's that do? That is also demand. So mm. they want to buy shares. So now they're trying to buy back shares to close out their positions. These people from Wall Street Bets and stuff are also buying out shares, but not selling them to the hedge funds that want to um, buy back and stop losing money. So the price keeps going up. And this is what is called a short squeeze, where the short positions, because these hedge funds are uh, shorting millions of stock, like millions and millions of dollars, they're being squeezed out of their position. They're all they can do is no matter what the price is, they're like, okay, fine, I'll just buy it at this price. At this price, And because now there's so much buying pressure with these hedge funds trying to buy, buy back millions, price keeps shooting and it goes to the moon straight vertically, <laughs> basically. Um, and in the meantime, they are just losing loads of money. So one of the companies that had the largest um, short position on GameStop was Melvin Capital. Um, so they were probably the hardest hit out of all of this. They had a large 
short position. <clears throat> and I think at one point, every $12 increase in the price was losing them like a billion dollars. Can you imagine that? Considering the price went, for, so th at one point, I think, like maybe if even if it was just for a moment, uh, for that period of time, it was that's the kind of scale it was working at. Because they're working with huge amounts of money, huge amounts of shares and huge amounts of options, which leverage shares. Um, <clears throat> so that's the scale of money that was being uh, lost by the hedge funds to the point where Melvin Capital actually had to be bailed out. They got a $3 billion infusion by Citadel, which is another investment firm. And yeah, so they had to basically get bailed out. They lost a huge amount of investors' money because hedge funds are usually controlling high net worth individuals' money. Um, so yeah, they lost a lot of money and a lot of other hedge fund companies also lost a lot of money and anyone else who shorted it probably lost a lot of money. Um, or like at least on the way up, if you shorted it on the way down, I guess it's kind of stayed down now. So you probably made some money, but. But conversely, there'd be the people, the people investing much smaller amounts of money, but on, for example, a part of Wall Street bets or um, parts of the wider community who, yeah, bought in when the, so, so for example, DFV, right? Mm. The, that user on Reddit, his, his like um money yeah so he, he was also running options on it i think so at the peak i think his unrealized gain was like 58 million or 52 million which was a huge amount i think he initially invested like twenty five thousand or something i i i don't know the numbers entirely but i'm pretty sure his peak you know gains but he didn't realize and was at 52 million he kept holding and then the stock started going down so it's lower but it's pretty much confirmed that he has sold out in some of his positions. I, I think he has, no, he's actually said that he has sold out of his, at least some of his positions. Um, where should we go from here? There's a million ways you can go. Okay, so then it kind of came, this is the part where it started to go viral, where the price started shooting up and these hedge funds were losing millions. And just the normal person realized that, oh man, we have a lot of power to just hold, like we can buy this share and just hold it and then hedge funds lose money because they just need to buy back at a higher price. So then everyone started going on. Wall Street bets increased from like 1 million users to 8 million in like two weeks. Yeah, it's disgusting yeah. Yeah. Like how much it grew. Um, and it obviously became popularized. Even big billionaires like, um, you know, Elon Musk started tweeting about it. He literally treated game stonks. Um, Chamath uh, Palihapitiya, who's a billionaire investor, also took, he actually took a position in GameStop as well. Um, you know, he made a decent amount of money from it. Um, yeah, everyone started going on about it and just like, yeah, let's just stick it to the hedge funds, man, mm. because they're the ones who caused the financial crisis of 2008 or whatever. All of these financial crises were all because of the hedge funds. And then the little guy like us, we're the ones who get hurt the most. Like we lose our jobs, lose our homes, can't take out loans to try and build back our business or something. Yet these hedge fund companies that go bankrupt get bailed out by the government by billions, even though they lost billions, billions, when they were doing really aggressive trading that they knew was extremely risky and they can take those risks because they'll just get bailed out by i guess in this circumstance by the next hedge fund next to them um but i guess in previous circumstances by the the government which is using taxpayers money or just printing out more money so that was the kind of moral side of it why it started going viral because people had power unity and numbers kind of thing so people really wanted to stick people were just buying a single share in it just so they can be a part of it and people were willing to like oh man okay i guess i have 500 pounds i don't really care if i lose this 500 pounds i'll just put it all into gamestop just hold it just to stick it to the hedge funds right that's what led it to go up and up and then certain trading platforms 
started halting the buying of shares in these kind of companies. So the, these kind of stocks are now just referred to as meme stocks, mm -hmm. um, stuff like, so GameStop was one of them. Another one is BlackBerry. Another one is AM, AMC. Nokia. Um, yeah, Nokia. These kind of companies that everyone just think, oh, I mean, I guess if you just initially look at them, you're like, yeah, they're dead companies or at least dying companies. And so did the hedge funds or, you know, these other institutional investors think that as well. So they're like, yeah, it's going to go down. So they're shorting them. But <laughs> Wall Street bets are like, nah, bro. Um, and they just meme the hell out of the stock and just buy it and just do all these random YOLO plays on it and just like, yeah, it's going to go into the moon. So <laughs> yeah, that's... So with, with these meme stocks, there were a number of meme stocks that started to just come into play as well, like BlackBerry. Like AMC was probably the other main one, which is a, um, it's the ticket symbol for something media. Basically, it's like a cinema company and people are like, yeah, cinemas are dying and stuff, especially with uh, Disney Plus and no one goes to the cinema anymore because of coronavirus, so they're just going to go bankrupt. So th that, that was the other company. So these trading platforms that provide commission-free trading to the uh, retail investor, retail investors like us. So companies like Trading212, Robinhood, um, are the other ones. So like free trade in the UK. I don't know if they ended up stopping any shares, but um, yeah, these these companies stopped allowing buying of the shares, but they allowed selling. So they allowed you to keep. Uh, so they stopped you from buying. So I couldn't buy any shares of GameStop when it was like really on its straight vertical rise. I couldn't buy any shares of GameStop. But if I had shares, I could sell it. And now what do the hedge funds need? They need people to sell it to them. And that will start lowering the price. So it will, it will reduce some of their losses. And but are they allowed to buy it? The hedge funds, they're, they're buying back shorted stock. So they kind of need to. So yeah, I guess no one really... So this is the part where it all starts falling apart. People are like, what the hell is happening? And this really exposed loads of things within the way this where with the trading of these assets kind of come in no one really knows what happens at this point like because it just exposed something that's never happened before um oh man i really don't want to get into the details but i guess you'd be confused by that because me just saying it like this it then sounds like um the hedge funds paid these companies to stop us buying it so that the hedge funds can stop losing so much money and close their positions out at first that's what it seemed like so everyone got like next level angry you know emotions were running high people were just like i think robin hood was, was it robin hood i think it was robin hood in a day just got went from five star reviews down to one star reviews so this is because people normal people like you or me mm. who wanted to join in on the hype train yeah and um were needed on the hype train to drive up the price share yeah. prices yeah they were being so you'd go on to trading two on two or you'd go on to robin hood in america and you wouldn't be able to invest and so that that naturally um, influences the price of the share, and then yeah, that that it sort of defeats what everyone was trying to do. Yeah, and I guess it also is due to part like bad communication from these companies. And so I'll, I'll kind of explain what probably happened. Still, no one really knows. Um, the so the companies were saying, yeah, we're stopping buying of these shares to protect you as the investor, and then people were like, whoa. It's my money. I choose what I want to buy in. If I'm doing a risky play, that's my choice, right? So you've been letting people on Wall Street bets YOLO loads of options and stuff, but I can't just buy my simple share of GameStop to protect me, right? So now these companies have to protect us retail investors, right? This is the kind of notion that was going around like, oh my God, okay, these people are corrupt now. The hedge funds have paid these companies to stop us from buying but we can sell 
so that the hedge funds can then buy those shares off us and close out the position and not lose so much money. And that, that's what was going on for a few days. People, people thought that that's what was happening for, for a few days. Um, and now this is the part where it gets really complicated and yeah, really started exposing certain things within the financial system and how all of this stuff works. Okay, so we just had a quick toilet break and hopefully we can just go on from there because this is probably going to be quite a long one. Uh, I was not intending, it's probably been what, around like 40 minutes of me speaking about how stocks work and what's shorting and this whole kind of story that's happened over the past month and a half. Still got a little bit more to go because I've kind of left it on the note where it seems like these trading companies that are, you know, or these trading apps that we use to buy or the normal lay person tends to use to buy these shares and stuff, it seems like these companies are now going on the side of the hedge funds when they initially made their companies to get the retail investor into investing in you know proper asset management. So it seems like they were going against their ethos and everyone was angry at them. But I think there's a lot more context to it because a, a lot of information came out afterwards about how the financial system works and how these companies actually make money. Um, and we have to start off by understanding that to actually understand probably the bigger picture as to what actually happened. So... Yeah, this is probably going to be split into like three episodes because we got a few other topics to get onto, which is outside of this whole stocks and Wall Street Bets stuff. So how do how does a company like Trading 212 or Wall Street Bets, uh, Wall Street Bets, uh, Robinhood make money? So with Robinhood, we are essentially the product in terms of how they how they make money. So whenever you're buying a share or selling a share, there is always a bid price and an asking price. And there's a slight spread between the two one will be slightly higher than the other. And you could essentially make money on that, but it's usually like a 1% difference. It'd be inefficient, especially if you consider other charges that you'd usually have to go through. It'd be inefficient to try and make money on these spreads, right? Unless you're doing it millions, if not billions of times, <laughs> and then you can make a lot of money that way. And that's what these people call, like these companies called the market makers are. So one one of the companies I think is um, Citadel. So they are a comp in, like investment company in America, and they they have this market making strategy where when we click buy on Robinhood or Trading Two One Two, Robinhood will ro let's just use Robinhood. Robinhood will take that information and then essentially sell that information to a company like Citadel, who will then say if we wanted to buy a share of Apple, they will then buy a share of Apple and then sell it to us <laughs> kind of thing, or just they'll have the share of Apple and sell it to us. So they're, they're the ones making the money. But what, but what if you want to buy just 0.1 of a share of Apple? Well, uh, yeah, okay. So that's a fairly new thing of these fractional shares, only in the past couple of years, really. Um, really recent for like trading to onto, I think. So fractional shares, they it's kind of like pulled up money. There's probably multiple orders going through and trading to one to have a cash supply. So they'll kind of put the money forward for the whole share, even though they'll only give that tiny bit to you. But then someone else will buy that other share and stuff. So that's why they need a certain amount of cash, right? It's called like liquidity. They need to be liquid to be able to provide this cash pool enough, right? So if you think about all the millions of things that are going on in the stock market, millions of interactions, millions of buyings and sellings every single second, there needs to be enough liquidity in the market, basically meaning that there needs to be enough activity going back and forth. If I need to buy a share, someone needs to sell it to me. If someone wants to sell a share, someone needs to buy it. So if you've ever bought a, or sold a share in a small company, a very small market cap company, so a small company on the stock market, they have low volumes of trading, i.e. not they don't have that much activity. If you click buy 
it's not so instant. I've had sometimes where I'd have to wait for like a minute and it's like, oh, okay, now my order is being filled because someone on the other side is now selling. Um, with these bigger companies, say like Apple, Amazon, Google, because it's, they're so big and so much activity and so much volume, they're like, it's almost instant. There's always. Yeah. But you have these market, a lot of that activity is probably from market makers. So these market makers, they just have huge piles of cash that they can provide this liquidity to the market, this constant turning over where I click buy on Robinhood and then Robinhood give that information, to, like sell that data basically to that information that I want to buy it to a market maker like Citadel. And they will then sell the, buy the share or sell the share. And basically they're the ones who are going to sell the share to me if I want to buy it. And then they'll do vice versa as well. So Robinhood make money on selling that information to them. So Robinhood's company is Citadel or like at least what one of their big like customers are Citadel really, because they're the ones who they get money from. Um, Citadel was also a company, so they also have an investing like department or like a uh, subsidiary, which was sh also involved in shorting GameStop. So now you see where this potential conflict of interest comes in, right? So they're like, man, Citadel, okay, Citadel investments are losing loads of money. So uh, they kind of tell their brother, like their other company, yeah. like, tell like Robinhood to stop selling shares or like, uh, stop allowing people to buy shares, right? So you see basically a lot of conflict of interest. Right? This is what people were thinking. This isn't necessarily like... Um, yeah, this isn't necessarily what happened. So Citadel... Huh? So sort of like speculation. Yeah, um, but it just seems like... So like, it just it's the perfect picture, really, the perfect painting. So it just seems so obvious. Oh man, this is what they're doing. They've, they've gone corrupt as well. They're going for the big guy, leaving the little guy. So... Um, the, the 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 big guys are too big to lose, but we're we're small enough to lose is basically what the kind of sentiment that was going around was. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how they make money by giving that information. And there are a few other things, but that's it. Like Robinhood do have a, a a paid service as well to get access to stuff like margin, uh, or like basically leverage, so you can borrow money more than you have and trade that um, in the hopes that you'll make even more money and then you'll pay it back and stuff. So. That's kind of how they make money, right? Same thing with trading to one to all these trading free, uh, commission free trading platforms probably ha have a same kind of strategy, including trading to one to. Yeah. Okay. And then in terms of how these orders actually get executed, it's pretty complex. It's not like I click buy and then Robinhood take my money and give it to whoever's selling the share or the other broker that's selling the share, give my money to them and then give that share to me. That's unfortunately not how it works. Some reason is way more complicated. It always seems to be with finance. Yeah. To be fair, it's, it's like because they're trying to build on really old systems. You know, it used to be with slips, right? Paper slips in terms of buying and selling shares. So you're like, yeah, I can promise you this share is coming in three days, like kind of thing. It's coming on horseback from the like the other side of the country. It'll be three days, but we'll be here, kind of thing. So obviously they've kind of built on these systems and tried to make it efficient with uh digitalization, if that's a word, but there are still some inefficiencies just embedded within it. So there's this like this whole like, so right now the system runs on a T plus two kind of system. So that basically means that it's like time plus two as in two days. When, when you buy a share, Robinhood have a cash pool, which they actually buy the share with. They don't use their money. They're not allowed to use your money um, due to you know financial laws and, and regulations and stuff. Um, they're not allowed to use your money directly. They use their own money and then it's it's like on a T plus two basis. So two days later, then they'll actually take the money. Account. Obviously, they what you see on your phone or whatever is that the money's gone. Um, 
and they obviously write it down on your record that you don't actually have access or you shouldn't have access to this money. But yeah, so there's a delay in the system and these shares need to be cleared, right? And the regulating body for that, I think is called the uh, DTCC in America at least. And they're, they're this, so they need to like clear these shares and clear them through, basically keep track of everything. And there's, yeah, there are like charges as well to do with volatility and Robinhood need to kind of keep a certain percentage of like money in their pools to be able to kind of sustain this. This is where it starts breaking down where if if you're not the like involved, like the CFO or the CEO of these companies, you won't really understand what's going on. All these billionaire investors, like huge billionaire investors, like, so I mentioned Chamath Payapatiya earlier on. Recently, like over the past month or couple of months, whatever, they he started a podcast with some of his other billionaire friends, and it's it's called the All In Podcast. Really good. I really like recommend you listening to it. And the, they recently had an interview with uh, the CEO of Robinhood, and the CEO of Robinhood been, has been on other interviews. He got interviewed by Elon Musk on Clubhouse. I don't know if you've seen that. So Elon Musk was like grilling him, getting to the bottom of it and stuff. Um, it's it's actually quite interesting. Elon Musk is a better interviewer than he is interviewee. Um, and it kind of makes sense because he's so good at learning and just trying to get things down from first principles and break everything down. That makes sense that he's a really good interviewer because mm. he will ask all the right questions. But anyway, tangent. Um, this has been just a whole bunch of tangents, really. But it will all kind of come back to the circle. It's tangi tangienting off. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So we're like, yeah, we're going further and further away, yeah, we'll but it will come around. An infinite amount of tangents on the same circle will come back to the same point. Yeah. If you're still following at this point, then congratulations. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, th this is where it kind of becomes hard to understand what's going on. So you have this clearing firm who clears all the shares and the orders and basically going through. They like Robinhood also have to pay them in terms of fees and just charges depending on the volatility of the entire market or certain shares. And it's a certain percentage, right? So... All of this, yeah, and plus the fact that Robinhood also need to keep like a couple of days supply of cash in terms of all the orders going through. The DTCC, I think, changed their pricing. Usually it's a couple of percent or whatever, but it went up to 100%. Basically, Robinhood had to give up $3 billion in cash for these fees straight up on that day. DT, DTCC or whatever clearing firm or whatever, it might not be the DTCC, I don't know at this point, no one really knows. Um, or maybe they do, but I don't. So basically this, these claim companies were like, yeah, you need to give 100%, right? You have to pay it out in full because the volatility is so high. So Robinhood were like, we don't have this amount of cash on hand. So, um, well, the thing is, is that the CEO came on saying that they don't have liquidity issues and stuff. But yeah, they basically needed to give up $3 billion in cash. They aren't even, I think they weren't even worth $3 billion. <laughs> All of the funding they've done in the lifetime of the five years of the company, they haven't even raised $3 billion in total. They were expected to give it up in one go. They actually ended up doing $3 billion of funding from investors um, and, you know, managed to get that through. But that's why they stopped these buying of shares because you buying it, they they can't, they don't have the money to give it to them. Although they said they didn't have a liquidity issue, so I'm not entirely sure what was actually going on. And even in the most recent interview that was on the, on the, on the All In podcast, um, he said that there wasn't a liquidity issue. So then I'm not entirely sure what happens at this point. But this is the kind of general notion that that was, or the general understanding about what actually happened, that they couldn't give them money, right, for you, to actually buy your shares for you. So they had to stop that. Um, and then why would they still allow selling? Okay, this part gets really complicated and I can't really remember the reasoning behind it and what actually happens. So I'll just kind of stop there. But 
you can see that these companies were kind of in a position where like, okay, we can't provide this money. So if we let you just keep buying shares, we're going to go bankrupt and just die. And then all of your money goes with it. It's obviously insured to a certain amount, but yeah, that would just be a huge loss for everyone, the company and you. <laughs> so that would be a lose-lose situation. So this was kind of like the middle ground as to where they, okay, fine, we'll stop buying it. And then initially they just stopped it entirely, right? And then they, the next day they were like, okay, yeah, this isn't you know going so well in terms of attention. So then they allowed it. So you, there were only a certain amount you could buy in a certain go. And then they were like lowering the limits and stuff. And eventually they opened it up once this whole kind of period went down. So basically what this ended up causing is the GameStop stock to plummet back down basically and relieve the hedge funds. That's why everyone was angry. Um, but it seems more like not that they were paid. It was more like they just kind of had to for their sake and kind of for your sake. So they said they were protecting you as the investor for like protecting your money and stuff because like there's extreme volatility and stuff. That's just bad communications. Like their, their media and communication teams need to be upgraded, let's say. Um, and they were sending out kind of preset emails that just weren't designed for these for this scenario so like first time it's ever happened but yeah there was so much like this so if they kept buying like this could have just put so much pressure on the system that everyone just can't, starts like it just starts collapsing kind of <laughs> um so this is the part where it just like starts collapsing um one in terms of understanding and knowledge like no one really knows what happens at this point because it's just all kind of been there and it's all just kind of worked and no one really knows People might be involved in one part and just kind of know what we do, but they don't know how it links with everything else. So that's where it just gets really confusing. And I'll probably just kind of stop it there in terms of the situation with these companies and why they stopped sh selling shares. So who knows? Maybe they did actually get paid out part, like by these companies partially. Like, yeah, man, stop letting them buy it. But I don't know. The the CEO of Robinhood at least seemed pretty sincere. And Weeble as well as another big trading firm that's unfortunately not available. Uh, it's a trading platform that's not available in the UK, but you can get it in the US and other con and some other countries. Their CEO came out and kind of started explaining this. And yeah, then people were like, okay, yeah, fine. Maybe they weren't just being paid. They were just kind of in a sticky situation. That's, sh that's just never happened before. No one was prepared for it. And it kind of exposed certain things like, why aren't things real time? Why isn't it just T, T zero, right? I buy shares instant, right? Because I guess there were just inefficiencies in the system in terms of having this all go across. And it's kind of exposed things that need improving on for, for better or worse. And, you know, maybe stuff like the blockchain relate to Bitcoin and the structure of Bitcoin and stuff. The blockchain where everything is accessible in terms of like everything is trackable and everything. Maybe this might help solve it. Obviously there are inefficiencies with Bitcoin and the blockchain as well, but yeah, it's just sparking this conversa conversation and people are like, okay, yeah, change and actual investigation into all of this is needed um, to improve the system and make sure something like this doesn't happen in the future or not that it doesn't happen in the future but something like this doesn't potent, like come close to potentially destroying the entire market um, so yeah that would have been a big ROP if that did happen and I guess so this is kind of what's happened all over January and then it died down quite quickly and today was the first day of the hit so loads of people are getting sued loads of head like loads loads of things are happening dfv is has been sued for i don't know either securities fraud or like market manipulation and stuff which i think is unfair like he wasn't involved in any of that all of this whole thing where people were discussing it and people were just like getting on each other's back on wall street bets hedge funds do, the, do this all the time where like a company will short a position and then they'll like pub 
publicized why they think they're shorting it like why why you know justifying their position they'll go on uh news outlets and stuff financial news channels and say explain it you know write articles about it so it's essentially the same thing really um and a, a much smaller scale and what people think is that when the okay this is a different point this when the stock when gme rose to the moon it wasn't actually so much the retail investors money that was causing that it was actually other hedge funds and algorithmic traders that were buying the stock even more at huge quantities because they were just following on the in, on the trend because hedge funds were probably saying like well i mean we didn't short this company they, our competitor hedge fund is getting burned by this let's just go put in billions or millions mm. to shoot up the price even more so they were the ones who probably actually brought about the massive price action in terms of it rising but we initiated it. We, we, we I, I guess we could say or take the credit for that, um, because in the grand scheme of things, the total money that we all put in was probably as retail investors was probably just like negligible almost. But it, it got the ball rolling, right? And then it snowballed, and then we got the big dogs to take out the other big dogs. So, you know, it's a dog eat dog world. It's a W for <laughs> we'll take the W anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So now DFV had his first uh, Congress hearing today. And I think some other hedge funders also, I think Melvin Capital had a giving statements as well. But yeah, that's kind of it. That's what's happened over the past month and a half, basically, or, you know, or at least got really hypey over the past month and a half. And I guess because shorting is so risky and you can see how much money can get lost and all these short squeezes and you know, it's an inherently risky kind of thing. At least more risk, stocks are volatile. They are risky in general, but shorting is even more risky in terms of just longing a stock in a simple manner. So comes to the question where, is short selling bad? Should it even be allowed? And a lot of people, even Elon Musk tweeted saying like, you know, shorting, he didn't say this exactly, but he was just going along the lines of, you know, shorting is illogical. How can you sell something you don't even own? Like you can't sell a car that you don't own X, Y, Z, just, and you know, it makes sense. Like, why can that even happen? Um, Has it always been around? Has shorting for as long as the stock markets existed? Pretty much, yeah. Like I said, they would use slips and just do it like that. I guess in the actual, I guess if shares were kind of written down on slips of paper and stuff, and that's where you get the old classic pictures of them shouting and some yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. off like office and stuff. Um, yeah, so... I guess it'd be the actual trading of slips. Like I said, I guess if you take the analogy of Pokemon cards, right, that's exactly what they're doing back then. So at least from very early on, shorting has been a thing. It's a quite an intuitive thing. If you, you, people like us do it with products in general. Like I gave the example of selling a phone just as the new one's about to come out. So it's still high. And then, okay, you're not shorting it because you're not borrowing it and giving it back and stuff, but you're trying to make money on the downfall of the price, right? Essentially. Kind of, kind yeah, of. So it's a concept. It's not just, yeah. it's not, this isn't confined to the stock market. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, is shorting bad? Should it be allowed? A lot of people just, were just like, yeah, man, just ban shorting. Shorting should, shouldn't be allowed. And I see where they're coming from. And I do partially agree. I personally disagree with shorting in any way, or like I can't do it because, well, at least with these classical platforms, you need to take on an interest, you're borrowing the share, so you need to pay interest on it, um, which is haram. So I just can't do it. So I inherently disagree, at least with that that aspect of it, you know, straight away. So I just don't do it. But I don't think it should be banned and it shouldn't be allowed. Why? Because 
it provides balance to the market. Otherwise, stocks would literally only go up. <laughs> mm. um, stocks would never go down because there wouldn't there wouldn't be incentive for people to justify against why a, like someone might say, oh yeah, I think the stock is going to go up because X, Y, Z. And people are like, yeah, okay, buy into it. There's no incentive for someone to like say, actually, no, this is a bit excessive or whatever, right? So an example with uh, Nikola Motors, I don't know if you heard about all of that. Hydrogen vehicle company uh, making hydrogen hydrogen fuel cell lorries and stuff. Basically, people were calling out for, calling it out for ages. Like, you know, this is all marketing. They don't actually have any products. They're basically a scam. Basically, it ended up being a fraud company. But a company, uh, an investment company called Hindenburg Investments or Hindenburg Research, they were like, we are shorting Nikola Motors. And this is our like, I think it was like 30 pages or like 40 pages or maybe longer. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying random numbers. A very long document stating why Nikola Motors was a fraud company. And they were incentivized to do that. If they're, they're a classically shorting, like their business model based on shorting and stuff, they're incentivized to actually find these fraud companies. They did turn out to basically be a fraud. Nick Lamo has gone off the year. Um, one of my earlier investors, so you said the max money you can lose when you invest long on something is the amount you invest into it initially, your initial, initial investment. So when I started, started investing, there was a company called Luck and Coffee, which is a coffee chain in uh, China. And everything just seemed so perfect about this company. Um, and I, I, I did my, you know, fair amount of uh, due diligence back then, even though it was probably subpar um, compared to what should actually be um, accounted as DD. So I, I, I bought a position into Luck and Coffee and I was like, you know, seems pretty solid after all of my uh, research into it, which wasn't that much, but it was enough to start a position. And I bought more in and I put my, my, like, a decent amount of money into it at, at my scale. <laughs> and then in the end, they were exposed for being a fraud. They, they'd faked like $250 million uh, of like cash flow or profits or whatever. And I was like, and then in one day I woke up and I just see the stock plummeted 70%. And I was like, no. <laughs> so yeah, that was pretty painful, but you know, it's, it's a lesson learned. Um, don't invest into Chinese companies. I <laughs> know I'm joking, but yeah, it, it hurt, but I was luckily it was a small amount compared to like my main investments. Um, but it was a good lesson. But yeah, someone like I guess it was that was just kind of done through regulation and just you know auditing. It was probably noticed and stuff. But you know, hedge or like these investment companies that are incentivized to make money on the downfall, you know, can expose these kind of things. They're incentivized to expose this kind of stuff, which has its benefits, right? It provides balance to the market. Things need to go up. Things need to go down you know, yin, yin and yang, basically. So that's my opinion on it. What, what, what do you think of short selling? Uh, it makes sense from what you're saying about um, what happens if you don't have short selling. I think that's a nice way to think about it, or at least from my understanding. And yeah, you take it away and then there's nothing sort of regulating the growth or like checking the growth of a, a share price. So, and I, it has its value as well. Like, and it, it just seems like a you're, you're being the bad guy almost if you're shorting in a way, because yeah. um, you're, you know, hoping that a company fails and, you know, that's just inherently kind of, um, yeah. Or not necessarily, it. yeah, fail. Like I guess, in, I guess in the game sort of circumstance, they were expecting it to just go bankrupt. Certain times they're like, uh, I don't know, maybe this product that everyone is hyped, like and Apple re have released a new product, right? Everyone's hyping it. Stock price is going up, but they're like, nah, I think they're like sales aren't actually going to be that high or something. 
and they short it, right? And then when the next quarter Apple release their earnings, they're like, yeah, we didn't really sell much of these. Then the stock goes down and they make money for it. So they also get rewarded for, you know, smart thinking or uh, and, and stuff. So yeah, it provides balance. So I don't think short selling is inherently bad, but I think there are certain practices within short selling that can make it bad, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, okay, one thing I don't agree with, how can you... Short, there should be a limit on being able to short over 100% of the stock, right? Because that's what actually probably led to this massive short squeeze and then this entire kind of collapse around it as well. That much short interest, uh, like, I don't know, maybe it should be limited to 100%, if maybe not 100%. I don't know. I don't have any financial education or knowledge in that. But inherent, like, intrinsically, I, I feel bad with that. I, I, I can't get along with 140, over 100% short interest. So maybe certain aspects of it need to be kind of reconsidered. Yeah. And then the other bad aspect of short selling is that some companies, so some hedge funds are really aggressive about it. They are literally betting on the company going bankrupt. And, you know, that will force people out of jobs and, you know, people to lose a lot of money in, in that sense or their livelihoods and whatnot. And they can be really aggressive because they, they have so much capital. So if it's a small company, like they could buy out that company like five times over, more than that, and basically control it. They can just do whatever they want with the amount of ca like cash they can put in and out of the company. And, you know, Elon Musk has a real sore side for short sellers because they, they were really putting Tesla under a lot of pressure, you know, earlier on, especially in like 2017, he got hit really hard because of all the short sellers. And it was a tough time. Elon Musk had to put a lot of his own wealth and capital on on the line to, to just keep the company afloat and stuff. Yeah, so he has a, that's why he had the short shorts. Have you seen those? What, you haven't seen the short shorts? No. So basically when uh, Tesla got like their fourth year profitable, they, they you know, they do these spin-off products. Like there's Tesla tequila as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's Tesla short shorts. Like, so someone like tweet about me short shorts. Um, and Oh, the physically short, the physical shorts. Like, yeah, you know, short yes. shorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It says, um, so they are short red, short shorts. Like, yes. um, what's the material? Silk like short shorts, mm -hmm. yeah, and I had and, the letters, of yeah, S three X Y, sexy on yes, the yeah, backside, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He that's basically him just like putting it because I think that he released that on his just before he announced the Tesla earnings or like you know Tesla announced their fourth profitable year uh, quarter in a row, um, and it just kind of from there that's when the stock price really went to the moon at that point, it really hit the inflection point, um, and there were a few other things as well, but. Yeah, I guess a lot of people, you know, have had experience with short sellers being really aggressive and just really just destroying the company and they're trying to do a good thing, right? Like, okay, if you think the price is going to go down, like, okay, just short it so you can make your money, but don't be so aggressive and be so money hungry. Just, I want to make as much money as I can on the price going down. But you just cause so much selling pressure and it just puts the company in a bad position. The reason these companies are on the stock market and stuff is that with these share price, they can you know, put out shares to, to the stock market and raise money through that. If the share price or the value of the company on the stock market is low, they can't raise capital as much. So they can't raise money for investment and stuff. And Tesla needed a lot of that. Um, so it was making it really difficult and stuff for them. Uh, yeah, really put the company close to the brink of bankruptcy. So that's why Elon Musk really doesn't like them. And when they do aggressive things like that, I, I do think it's, you know, ethically questionable, I, I'd say. Uh, sometimes hedge funds literally buy out companies and then, or I, I know there's a, I can't remember his name, but he's like, he's brutal. People were scared of him. Like he would, he'd like buy companies and then that are basically going bankrupt and then give them loans. But then because of the way it works, it's like that, that company then can't pay back the loan and then they still go bankrupt. 
but then they're still shorting. Yeah, yeah. So they buy the company and they 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 need loans and stuff. But then the hedge fund that they the hedge fund that bought that company like short the position, force it down even further. So then they can't raise capital. But they're making the hedge fund is making money on the share price going down, and then that company files for bankruptcy. But the it doesn't affect the hedge fund in any way. It just affects that company because there's like some weird separation in how they acquire these companies. I don't know. I'm just kind of chatting bs at this point but there, there's something like that but yeah it's really aggressive and that is not good man or at least i don't agree with it and i could never do something like that yeah so that's kind of the summary very long summary of everything that happened over the past month and a half and the kind of information that's been revealed i didn't intend on rambling on for so long about this i wanted it to just be like you know maybe 10 20 minutes max but i thought i'd just kind of get the full picture in one go so I guess this this will kind of just be the end of part one where we just kind of initially talk about this because this kind of leads on to the f part where we talk about is wealth acquisition uh, or like is wealth and acquisition of just cash and money bad in general? Is it a bad thing to want to become wealthy, have a lot of money, have a high net worth? And, you know, a lot of this is done through investing or stocks and stuff. So is it just a generally bad thing to be wealthy and want to acquire wealth? Because I feel a lot of people have a like a bad taste in their mouth when they think of people like Jeff Bezos or now Elon Musk. I guess not so much Elon Musk, but especially Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, a lot of memes about him. And I remember at one point it was like, cancel Amit or like cancel Jeff Bezos. Like that was all coming around and all of these visualizations of how much, you know, how much his net worth is, is. And it's actually hard to kind of comprehend how much money that is. And yeah, people are just having a large distaste against him, if that makes sense. Okay, so that brings me to a couple of questions that I've been meaning to ask you. I'm interested to see what you think about them. First of all, about Jeff Bezos. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting It. If you enjoyed this episode. Or didn't. Then feel free to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app or on the Apple Podcasts website. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed. So feel free to email us at thoughts@gettingit.co.uk. You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at gettingit_pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.